Producer, writer, and author Stephen L. Sears' first job in Los Angeles may have introduced him to a seamier side of the industry, but it never put his career on hold. Because you know where I've worked first. Well... Yeah, the waiter actually came second because I was working at an answering service, and that's where you and I met. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, so you were actually on your way to being an actor more than being a waiter because... At an answering service, you had to act like you really cared about the people who were calling in. Yeah, and believe me, you have to do that as a waiter, too, if you want the tips. But, of course, everybody who is an actor, that's the whole cliche. You're always a waiter. Everybody's a waiter. And it's mostly because you can choose your hours, and that makes you available for auditions. But yeah, when I got there, when I drove out to Los Angeles, um, I had no idea what I was going to do. I stayed one month with a cousin who lives out here. And then I moved in with a friend of mine whom, whom I'd met at Florida Atlantic. He had moved out. And I, I knew that I had a, a um, good broadcast voice. I had done some radio work. And so I thought, well, an answering service is a possibility. So I literally opened the phone book. For those of you who are young, phone books are actually these things made out of dead tree flesh with names and numbers. Uh, anyway, I opened up the... Um, but they were delivered. And they were delivered. They still are. They still throw the yellow books or whatever they call them now uh, on my front lawn. But anyway, I opened it up. And the first one was called A1 Answering, for obvious reasons, the first one. And so I called it. And I got um, this person named Lou, uh, a woman. And, you know, very pleasant voice, as I would expect. And, of course, I was all ready to do my voice. And so I said, hi there, my name is Stephen Sears. I, uh, I'm looking for employment and I know that you're an answering service and I think that we would be a good fit. Uh, I was probably not as overdone as that. And she said, um, can you hold on for a moment? And I went, sure. So she comes back and she says, um, so anyway, what was your name again? I said, I'm Stephen L. Sears or Steve Sears at that time. And I said, I'm uh, looking for work. And uh, this was one of the first places I called made them sound important, but they were just the first in the phone book. And so we had a short conversation and then she said, Oh, hold on a moment. So I held, she came back and she said, can you come in um, later on this afternoon? And I said, sure. So what I didn't know was that when she put me on hold, she called, she basically called the manager who was in the other room and said, you have to listen to this guy. And so Vera, who you knew, she was the manager. So she got on the phone and she was listening to me talk. So I came down and I met Vera and they hired me on the spot and I ended up doing the um, midnight shift. I was from, going to say, you were smart. You did the, the overnight shift, yeah. but that left your days free. That was the thing. Uh, the midnight shift allowed me to do that. Um, and also it, it was a shift nobody wanted and I was fine with that. So between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m., it was incredibly busy because people were getting off work or coming in from the set and everything, and they were all calling in for their messages. Then from like 1 o'clock until about 6 in the morning, it was completely dead. And I had plenty of time to do things such as 
learn plays, uh, do a lot of reading. I mean, anything I wanted to do, I was free to do. Uh, we had a lot of celebrities on that answering service. Uh, Donna Summer um, was on there. Uh, Charles Grodin, who just passed away recently, he was uh, one of the people. Um, Martin Cove, who uh, is in Cobra yeah, Kai right now, uh, he was one of the people. And I was I was talked to so many um, uh, so many different celebrities at the time, which you know, for guy coming from military bases in a small town. This was a very bizarre exp experience. Susan St. James was on there. She was, I loved talking to her. She was great. And there were other people who were not necessarily celebrities, but we struck up kind of a friendship when they would call in. You were one of them. Uh, and at least two other people that were on there are still friends of mine today. So um, it was an interesting experience. And I was also privy to certain conversations because of the way the PBX system worked, where I had sometimes I had to listen into a conversation to hear if somebody had detached. If they asked me to listen in, um, I would listen in so that if the conversation stopped, I would realize one party had hung up and the other party was waiting for me to come back in so that I could do a cross-connect phone call. It's kind of complicated. But as a result of that, I did hear some things and I was approached by a uh, member of the Inquirer tabloid about a particular person, and I'm not going to tell you who, but a particular person that they suspected was having an affair, which he was, and I knew it. And I was offered a really nice sum of money to spill the details of what I knew. And I said, no, I, that's just not the way I'm wired. But uh, I thought, wow, this is a wacky industry. This is so bizarre. So, but that was the first job, and that's where you and I, I first met. Well, it's funny you say that because the last job that I had in LA was working for Star Magazine, which at the time was not owned by Inquire, the same corporation. And that's the way they worked. They yeah. came in with suitcases full of money, and you know, the amount, considering this was 1981, uh, the amount of money was between thirty-five thousand and forty-five thousand dollars. 1981. I could believe it. Yes. Um, and um, the the person who approached me took me out one night to just, he said, do you want to go around town and, and meet the celebrities I meet? And I was like, you know, I'm kind of naive. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. That'd be fun. So we went out to Beverly Hills and we hit all the bars and I saw how he worked. And it was like, wow, this is really you know, back then, this was before the uh, Carol Burnett lawsuit. Um, they really did um, some nefarious things. All the tabloids did. And yeah. I remember this one celebrity in a bar had dropped a drink. And the person I was with walked over, and they knew each other, and said, so, you want to tell me what that was about, or should I just describe what I think it was? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I didn't want to be a part of that. Well, when I worked for the Star, I mean, the powers that be would send down a headline about a show and say, find the story to go with this headline. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of, they're looking for a story. They're not just, you know, but that's their job. They have to find that and they have to get that, that one line um, headline that's going to grab it off of the rack. And I always love the fact that nobody read the Inquirer, except that it was the largest circulation magazine at that particular time, but nobody read it. No. 
They literally look at the pictures. Yeah, exactly. So that was uh, that was my first experience actually there, and then I moved to being a waiter later on at Wampoppers. But it, yeah, I was going to say, but the place where you were a waiter was not just a restaurant. No, Wampoppers uh, is no longer there. It was at the the entrance to the Universal Studios tour. It was owned by Universal. It was a theme restaurant, and it had a Western theme to it. The idea behind it was that C.L. Wampopper was a used wagon salesman. He was kind of modeled after a particular um, used car salesman who was located in Orange County. Um, Carl something, I forgot his last name. Oh, Got it. And his, and his dog Spot, those commercials. Um, Cal Worthington Cal and his Worthington. dog. It was right. kind of loosely based around Cal Worthington. So the idea is that C.L. Wampopper had a used wagon lot in this location. And then when the, when automobiles were brought up, when they were, you know, popularized, the industry fell apart. And so he decided to open a restaurant. It was a restaurant that could only happen in Hollywood, but it was also the beginning of the rest of Steve's career. Find out why in the next edition of Beginnings.